Good afternoon. Uh, my name is Yitzchak Schechter. Um, I want to apologize about the delay. Um, on my way over, I, got, I was driving, I got hit in my car, and we're talking about Kavanaugh and Mitzvot. I should suggest the topic of Kavanaugh um, in driving. Um, unfortunately, person lost. I don't know what happened, but it hit me, so I'm sorry that, uh, thank God it's okay, but I'm sorry about the delay. I truly apologize. Um, I was actually supposed to be here about 45 minutes early to finish Xeroxing, um, but um, we're getting it Xeroxed right now. Okay, um, the, the topic that I wanted to speak about today, and I'll give out the Marina Komot as soon as uh, I have them uh, copied, is it's really, I call it do mitzvot require intention? Um, do mitzvot require intention, mystical, spiritual, and psychological perspectives? What I want to talk about this afternoon, and um, I was expecting a little bit of a smaller audience, so we can still try to engage in a dialogue, um, or a trialogue, or a larger number, um, is to understand different perspectives in approaching the idea of mitzvot, and how that reflects itself in the experience of mitzvot. Um, there are so many different perspectives and paradigms from which to understand Yahadut in, in general. So I think it's very important to think about specifically the question of mitzvot from its perspectives, the mystical, spiritual, and the psychological, because I think ultimately it can enrich how we view, um, how we view, and most importantly, how we experience mitzvot. Um, now, let me just give a brief introduction about who I am. Can everybody hear me? I don't know if the microphone is on. Not, it doesn't amplify your voice, it's just the recording. Oh, okay. So I don't have to speak so loud into it. Um, is this better? If I speak like this, can you hear me? Okay. It felt like there was an amplification, so that's why. All right, I will make sure that you can hear me. If you can't, especially those of you in the back, please let me know. Please remind me, okay? You can hear me, okay. So now, but before I begin, um, I just want to give a very, uh, to, just to introduce myself. Um, my name is Yitzchak Schachter. I am um, a psychologist and the director of the Center for Applied Psychology at Beaker Cullen in Rockland County, New York. Basically, we have a center for mental health issues, an outpatient clinic, um, a, um, a school-based counseling program, a rabbinic and community education initiative in Rockland County. And there we deal primarily with a um, an orthodox, ultra-orthodox, and Hasidic um, uh, population. And it's quite an interesting challenge and quite an interesting um, place to work and also to be involved in 
changing some of the, let's call it, cultural norms of that community. But okay, I also lecture on issues of psychology and religion, and in my private practice, psychological and religious issues are my primary focus. Okay, so now in terms of the idea of mitzvot, um, there's the fundamental, mitzvot are really the fundamental basis of the Torah experience. I say the Torah experience because Torah as sacred text, Torah as legal thinking, Torah as values, etc., are more of an intellectual or abstract base. It is within mitzvot, actual bona fide actions, um, that we experience the religion. It's within the construct of mitzvot that the Torah experience happens. And also mitzvot are particularly psychological phenomena. They are pheno- psychological in the sense that that um, they are the intersection the intersection between us as psychological creatures, psychological beings intersecting with divine will, with, with God um, in a certain sense. And it's, and it's therefore a place where so much of our psychology um, plays itself out. And mitzvot are particularly also unique to the hybrid nature of what we humans are. The hybrid nature of having a spiritual, a neshama, um, a spiritual nature to ourselves, but also being very much physical and being very much um, of this world. The, the Medrash plays this out very dramatically when describing Moshe, Moshe's encounter going up on high, going to God, and there he wanted to bring down the Torah, bringing that back down the Torah at Mount Sinai and saying, okay, I'm here, let me take it and give it to the people. So the Medrash said a fascinating interchange. It describes uh, a fascinating interchange. So Moshe goes up to take the Torah as God had commanded him. Um, and then the angels say, whoa, who are you to take this lofty, holy Torah and take it, you're a person, and the Jewish people are people. By what rights do you have to God's holy Torah? Um, And um, different versions of the Medrash, but the Medrash basically says that um, 
there's, there's actually, he responds, or, or God responds, depending on the reading of the Medrash. Um, the Torah doesn't apply to you, the angels. Torah is uniquely a human endeavor. It's uniquely for people. It says, honor, what does it say in this Torah? Honor your father and your mother. Do you have a mother? Do you have a father? It says, don't covet. Don't be jealous. Is there anything approximating jealousy amongst you, the angels? And it goes on to list a couple of more things. And then, with that argument, Moshe is allowed then to take the Torah. Um, substitution to the Medrash that, that Moshe um, God changes Moshe's face to look like the countenance of Avraham to look like Avraham and to which God further says aren't you embarrassed in front of the one who gave you food and sustenance and then immediately they back down and he got the Torah so here we have Again, the theme of the Medrash, not necessarily a, a technical account of what happens, but a symbolic representation of the, almost the right of the, of the world to have Torah. So there, the idea is that, um, that um, the physical or the psychological imperfections of people are that which allow them and maybe necessitate them to have not just the Torah but particularly the Medrash describes its mitzvot and therefore the mitzvot are not as relevant to the angels as they are to us flawed human beings and in Halacha, in fact, there is a concept that the Gemara draws on in several places. That the Torah is not given to the angels that serve God. The particular reference is if a person cannot be so super exact, let's say the exact split seconds or precise moment of time. So he says, Lunitna Torah Lamalachi Hasharit. I'd say for example the Gemara talks in several contexts, but one of them is the Kohen taking off the clothes after he finishes his temple service because if it has shotness, a mixture of linen um, and, and cotton um, so immediately the split second that he leaves the temple because it was permitted in the temple but not afterwards <laughs> so the Gemara says that the phrase that the Torah observance is not so perfect that the person cannot be so perfect it's not given to the angels on high so we have this notion of it may specifically be our imperfection that gives us a mandate to Torah. Now, furthermore, the 
Now if we take the second half of that Midrash, where it says Moshe's feast changes to be the feast of Avraham. So that notion, what's that all about? So um, as children, um, many of us learned the famous Midrash when the three visitors that came in the Pasuk, the three visitors that came to meet Avraham, so they were really angels, and therefore when he offered them food, they couldn't eat it. So, so therefore they couldn't eat it. So um, this idea that Avraham being able to serve the angels, there may be another idea here as well. The idea that Avraham is somebody who is a physical person, but yet is able to endow or imbue with his physical actions a spiritual meaning. So much so that they're able, he is able to give food to the angels. To give food to the angels to which they can then eat it whatever that means. Um, and so the Medrash is then drawing on this metaphor that Avram is able to sanctify physical, corporal material. And of course the story with the angels is immediately preceded by him doing the Brit Mila. Okay, so we have the the uh, fallibility of humans requiring mitzvot, but we also have the, the possibility that we as humans are able to transform mundane reality into something more spiritual. Now, mitzvot are also, aside from their purely spiritual sense, there's also a very complex interplay between the sociological, between the religious, the psychological, and spiritual domains. Because mitzvot are not happening purely and simply in the privacy of one's room. There are mitzvot that require public communion, public involvement. Let's say, I'm just randomly taking um, an example of uh, the mitzvah of um, placing a king, um, placing a king over you. So now you're touching complex social structures into play. Or um, the laws of Shemitah, of that, that affect the entire structure of agricultural society. Or the laws of ribbit, ribbit the, the laws of, of not charging interest. So you have the entire economic structure of, of um, the community affected. So you have, you have complex sociological or um, interpersonal relationships. Things, let's say, the mitzvah of no telech rachil, that you can't go and be a tailbearer speaking about other people. 
we're dictating the the nature of um, of interpersonal relationships. So you have in the mitzvot we have a spiritual sense of it, of things that may be more of of a more immediate sense of prayer, um, which also has a social structure component to it. So you have in mitzvot the social economic. The entire life of an individual and the entire life of a community built upon, dictated by the mitzvot, the mitzvot structure. So you're no longer dealing just with legal, um, a particular legal system or a particular religious system. You're dealing with something that gives flavor and gives structure to society in general. To a large degree, one would assume that this is setting up the the religious ideal of what um, society, individuals would, how they would experience life and how they would um, go through it. And we're going to touch a little bit more about this, a lot more about this as we uh, go through. This is just merely as points of introduction. Can everybody still hear me in the back? Okay, good. But there's another idea. There's a communal, there's a societal, but then there's also the deeply personal. The idea ultimately of mitzvot is to create transformation. Transformation of individual identity, transformation of a communal identity, but it's to transform the adherent of mitzvot. And this is a very important point, to not just set up structurally as such, but to imbue it um, with meaning, and that, that meaning and that value can be transformative in those that experience mitzvot. Um, and we'll go through uh, shortly, um, going through um, these points. Okay. Um, I do, before I go further, I, I do hope that we're able um, to really have discussion. Even if it is a large audience, um, I want this to be open for discussion, but in order for it to flow um, as easily and as smoothly, I might um, have to stop it at some point to move further. So please do not be insulted if I don't uh, answer or if we can't, if the discussion doesn't flow as much as you would hope. It's nothing, uh, any particular comments. Okay. Now, um, unfortunately, I don't have the pages to give to you at the moment, but you'll, you'll have it shortly. Um, so, first of all, the question is that I want to first address, and address it within these various levels, is what is a mitzvah? What, what is it? Um, try to define it a little bit. Um, 
And how does do the Talmudic and rabbinic sources to start off with um, they view this concept? So, so first of all, the notion of a mitzvah um, is is that of a commandment. Literally, the shorish of tzadivavhei is savah is of commandment. So a mitzvah is that which is commanded, um, and it's a commandment. And, and I'll and I'll, in a few moments I'll touch more about this, um, about what it means to be a commandment. But the way Chazal. Uh, the rabbis in, in many places in Talmud, they describe that first of all um, that that it's there's a greater it's greater lo hamedrash ikar elohamasa the main thing is not the learning but rather the action Indeed, it's not the act, it's not the learning in an ivory tower context. It's bringing these notions to life. And it's interesting to note the context of this passage is in Perkei Avot. And Perkei Avot, it's, um, it's in the statement of Shimon ben Gamliel, and where he says it starts off about it starts off um, I don't have it in front of me it's being Xerox but it starts off in the comment of um, um, low one second it's low matzate l'kuf tov mishtika I've not found for, for the body better than silence then low midrash and then it says, um, I forgot the exact phrase. Yes. Okay. 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 Uh, absolutely. Um, I will get to that shortly. Um, and if I don't, the question was, is there a difference between the positive commandments, the positive actions, versus the the negative ones, the prohibition or the refraining from. And we're going to talk about that. It turns specifically around the point of transformation and maybe there's more to be said for positive action than from refraining from. And I'll get to that. And if I don't get to it shortly, hold me on a second. I'm sorry? Okay. Okay. No, I, 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 yeah. Um, can you still hear me back there? Okay, good. Um, if anybody else closer also. Um, so, so going back to the Mishnah where it says, that the main thing is the action. It's, it's phrased, it's, it's centered right between discussion of silence is golden, let's call it, or um, and not speaking too much. So the idea is, and I think this is the point of the Medrash, 
is that of the of the Mishnah, and actually Rav Avadya Bartanura makes a point of this that even speech of Torah, which Medrash is, is itself sometimes too much, and one needs to act. You can almost imagine the Mishnah saying that one needs to be able to have the knowledge, to be able to have the intellectual backup, but what has to ultimately take place is the, the transformation of you, the individual, to being a person that, is, that acts based on your midrash. You're not just talking the learning. Um, you're, you're not just talking the talk. You're walking the walk. So what you're doing is um, taking the midrash, taking the learning, and <coughs> incorporating it into who you are, and then you are acting accordingly. Then you are being a person that has the knowledge. Because it's interesting, the Mishnah elsewhere says, which is greater, learning or action? It says, Gadol Halimud Great is study that it brings to action. So it's a, a little bit of a dialectic that you have to be holding both of these. That you, um, you have to be able to have the Limud, which is not the main thing, but the action and the transformation of self into somebody who has this limud, transforms it into who you are, you get it into your bones, and then you become, and you become a, um, a person that, that is acting as Torah. But yet, Gadol Halimud, the greatness of learning, is that it's Mevili Dimasa. You can't have the, you can't have action without knowing what your action should be, without your intellect. So you need the limud, and that will ultimately trigger and foster the action. Now, it's interesting also that this has a halachic ramification. Um, that the, the halacha is a Talmud Chacham, a, a scholar of Torah, and it's interesting that most places in Talmud where the phrase Talmud Chacham appears, it refers not to particular knowledge, but to behavior, a norm of behavior, not necessarily intellectual knowledge. It says Talmud Chacham Shemachal that 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 um, forgives their honor, they're able to forgive in their honor, forgo their honor. For example, a king cannot be mochel, cannot forgive their honor. The Gemara explains why, because once this person learns, nasa taraso delay, it becomes their own Torah. So therefore, it's theirs. So therefore, they can 
forego their honor that goes with the Torah. So the idea that I'm trying to say is a parallel idea that that it's the idea that it becomes there becomes an identity with the person who studies it, an identity with the person who imbibes it. Okay, so going back to this point, that ultimately action is greater than the learning, but one can only act if they have knowledge. Similar to the idea, um, this, this is basic dialectic. Now also, what's the purpose of mitzvot? Well, um, I haven't had a Jewish education, so for the past years I've been attending various lectures, mm-hmm. from the very religious mm-hmm. to the reform. And I listen, and I listen, and can hear and listen with the knowledge I've had being in the center of the world. I've been a teacher. Now, from what I know, a mitzvah is something good. Mm-hmm. To do something good. Yep. Uh, perhaps this is simplistic, but I remember when I was in Brooklyn College, mm-hmm. I remember the professor said, mentioned Immanuel Kant. Mm-hmm. And in a very simplistic way, Kant said, Do unto others as you would like done to you. So I would interpret a mitzvah as doing something good for a person that you would like done for you if you were in that situation. Okay. And this is right now. Okay. Okay. So, um, thank you. Um, it's actually not Immanuel Kant. Immanuel Kant may have said it at some point, but it's actually um, um, as versions within Mishnahic sources, um, the, um, the first formulation of this idea is the Ahavta L'Reach HaKamocha, love thy neighbor like thyself, which is in the, um, the, is in, um, in the Torah, in Parshat Kedushim, in Deuteronomy, in, uh, in Leviticus. Um, but it's also a Mishnah saying that Hillel used to say, what you don't like, don't do to somebody else. And it's an interesting question why he phrases it specifically within the negative. But I don't think we'll get to it. But, um, there's definitely that element of it which I'm going to try to address as well. Um, I just want to see if I can close this door. Uh, I can't. Okay. Um, all right, so the, the, we'll get back to this point as well. I, I can't put the poster in front. Thank you. Um, so what is the purpose of mitzvot? And, and one could take this question in different ways. But um, the rabbis say in several places a similar type of a notion. That the idea is... Um, what the, 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 this is traditionally said at the end of each chapter of the chapter of the fathers, Perkia votes that um, that Rabbi Hanani says um, that 
what's that good is vocal was that goes to this well um god wanted to um i'll translate it for the moment to give merit to israel um the thicker he brought him torah mitzvahs therefore he gave a multitude of torah and mitzvahs to them so the first point of that statement is that the, the mitzvot are there as something positive it goes without saying but it just that's an important point it's to lezakos to give merits so presumably the more one does the more one engages in it the more merit they have. We'll see what that kind of means. Yes, exactly. The purpose is to be able to learn, is to put it into action. Exactly right. And, and that's why having more Torah and mitzvot, to learn about it and then to bring it into action. Certainly. So now, the question of what the purpose of mitzvot are. The purpose of mitzvot. So, so one idea is it increases the merits that one has. So presumably, the more you do, the better it is. Now, this you can understand this in a bunch of different ways. You can understand this in a way of so um, the bigger one's reward in the world to come. Olam haba. That's one thing. Or, as we said before, it can have a meaning of, it can be greater merits, that one is now a more spiritual, more holy, lofty, connected to God person, which maybe that maybe is the reward. Or maybe to, to give more merit means, if you live well, then you'll get blessing and good things. It's another possibility. Uh, another reading of the Zakot et Yisrael is the Shoresh Zacha, Zayn Chafei, means to merit. But there's another way that's sometimes used, Zayn Chaf Chaf, which is, anyway, adventure, Lizacheich is to purify, to, um, to purify so in other words, what mitzvot do are help purify us. What does that mean? That means to be able, again, going back to this idea of transformation, of going back to the dialectic within which the human being is always trapped, their spiritual self and their, uh, their, and their what's called physical self, to be able to shed slightly one's physical trappings, one's um, the physical trappings and to purify and to sort of like disconnect from the bonds and shackles of the physical experience. Now, it's also interesting, the Mishnah also says, in Perkia votes again, that that um, what is the reward of a mitzvah? Schar mitzvah goreret mitzvah. A mitzvah leads to another mitzvah. Avera goreret avera. A sin, a transgression, 
leads to another sin or transgression. Schar mitzvah, mitzvah. The reward of a mitzvah is another mitzvah. So what does that mean? What, what does that mean? To just, to, like, I just, um, I just want to get a specific on this point. So, so then, the reward of the mitzvah is the, the fulfillment of the mitzvah, and that, and that experience, and that um, feeling is then the its own satisfaction. So, um, so you're saying it then. The question becomes: um, Does that become an emotional um, satisfaction, or is that a spiritual one or is it some combination of both um, just want to if, if I can as you're giving out the papers um, as you're giving out the papers because you just made that comment so I don't want to lose you as you're, you're doing this um, so the idea that the feeling that you get is that's the reward and in fact so many commentaries make that point but then the question that arises, so does that mean the reward is the emotional high that we get from it? Is it the emotional high? Or is that somehow a self-serving? In other words, I feel good that I did this mitzvah. That may be one meaning of it. So that might be a, a cynical way of viewing of that statement. That one is, that one gets a positive feeling of having done this particular mitzvah, or the sense of satisfaction that I did it. But then I'll go back to that gentleman's, your comment before is, well then, maybe a positive mitzvah, that has a good thing. I just did something great. I was able to give a nice big check to my congregation, so I fulfilled the mitzvah of staka. And therefore, I feel good. Or I just had matzah and remembered the exile, the the redemption, the exodus. So I feel good. What about not doing a negative? Let's say, okay, a very bad example. I didn't kill somebody. I was really mad. I was really angry. But I didn't kill them. That would be a little bit traumatic. But but then there might not be that same high that emerges from it. Um, and also the question is, is that the ultimate reward? So, right. so then another reading of it is the schar mitzvah is the mitzvah. Doing the service of God, doing the action of God is its own reward. And that on a pure, on a pure uh, level. There's a statement, it's often quoted in the Hasidic, the name of um, a, a Hasidic uh, rabbi, I think it was Levi Yitzchak of fascinating character, um, but actually the first person I found is Rav Avram ben Arambam, in Avram, the son of Maimonides, Rav Avram ben Arambam, who we're going to be quoting from, um, that 
that um, has a fascinating work. Um, it's called Sefer Hamaspik of Hashem. The um, literally what it means is Hamas that gives enough to the servant of God. It was written in Arabic Kafial Avdin. Um, and basically he wrote an encyclopedia of Judaism. A huge encyclopedia of Judaism. And he has the, the, the part that we have extant is one chapter of one book. And that's like itself. This is his book called Sefer Amazbik L'Avdi Hashem. And he writes about in this one section he's talking about um, he's talking about the midos and the mitzvos and how to perform mitzvos not in a halakhic sense but in a spiritual and in a psychological sense and there he writes we're going to talk a lot more about this book um, it was actually translated into English in the 1920s um, called Highway to Perfection um, it's this uh, a part of but anyway going back to the point um, but Avram and Aramam says that I would do mitzvot even if I ended up getting punished for it and I would refrain from transgressions even if I would get reward for it so the idea is that the, it's not the reward it's the actual experience of doing of doing God's work even if for some construct I would get I would be punished for it obviously that wouldn't take place but such an idea yeah Oh, 
it's on the, the first page of the Mishnah. And then it's, it's this page right here, the first page of the, um, the source sheet, right over here. Um, it's Perak Dawar Mishnah Bays. Ben Azay Omer, Ben Azay says, different versions, but one should run to a light or easy mitzvah. Um, and run away from transgression or sin. A mitzvah leads to a mitzvah. The avira goreret avira, because a sin leads to a sin. Shaskar mitzvah mitzvah, schar avira avira. It's the complete context. So what we have, going back to the point, is that we have said yes. traits as opposed to pure spiritual entities. Okay, exactly. And we're going to actually touch on that, on that exact point because we have a dual nature and therefore um, we'll touch on that. Um, and if I do, Rabbi Sadok, who's a fascinating very innovative thinker, actually gave a class in some of Rabbi Sadok's writings uh, bunch of years now, uh, um, but he talks about this dual nature, and then we'll, we'll get to that in a few moments. But what we have here in this mission, going back, first of all, when you develop a rot, when mitzvah kala, one should run, one should be quick in their feet to a light mitzvah, a simple mitzvah, which really means you're not calculating oh, this is a really good mitzvah. This is worthwhile to do. This one is, uh, this is not so important. You just run. But also, it's a sense of urgency. You should do it. Run it. Run to it quickly. And that's the idea of also viewing the schar mitzvah as a mitzvah. That the, every mitzvah one has is an opportunity. It's a possible opportunity to, I'll say, this term before, but to connect to God or do God's will. So every mitzvah is an opportunity that I, I want to take advantage of very quickly and very soon. Um, but also, therefore, there's the notion of even a small transgression, a small sin is significant. Why? Or a small mitzvah is significant. Exactly. Because it leads to another one. So this might be on some spiritual, mystical, ontological level, some that uh, one mitzvah leads to another, or just a matter of practical experience. When we're on a roll, we're on a roll. When we're doing a mitzvah, that leads us to then go search out for another one. I place myself in a mitzvah 
state of mind in a, in a mitzvah. Exactly. I think that's where they got it from. Um, so therefore, it becomes, we become trained in our consciousness, in our perspective, to be viewing a mitzvah. And I will also add another point to this. Um, um, the issue of identity, I work a lot, like I said, with psychological and religious issues and the intersection of these points. Very often, um, working with adolescents who, this is not just adolescents, this is of course true for adults as well, but as with most things, we see things more clearly in children and adolescents. We adults tend to obfuscate things, you know, make it less obvious. But very often, you have people that, that sort of like fall out of their path in life. And one of the reasons that they end up where they are is because they lose their identity as somebody that can be good. They, can, they lose their identity of somebody that can possibly be a good kid. Um, let's say a teenager in school, they're not doing well in their grades and socially, and they're leaning towards a certain crowd, the, in quotes, the bad crowd. So they eventually feel like I cannot be a person that's with the good crowd. Similarly, very often with, um, um, with students that are, are leaving their observance of Judaism in whatever way that may take, that they, they lose the ability to identify with the good. So, and they, therefore, I can't do that. So I feel distanced from it. So therefore, I take on an identity of a bad kid. Um, so I take on an identity and feel more comfortable with that identity. And this, like what we're saying, is part of this notion of mitzvah goreret mitzvah, that a mitzvah leads to a mitzvah, an avera goreret avera, that I take on a certain identity. Um, like the, 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 the Gemara has a famous that once a person saw something once, he did it. He did it twice, then it becomes easier. A third time, it becomes, not like a hairgel, it becomes like um, a habit, thank you, habit. And then they say, what if you do it a fourth time? So then it becomes a mitzvah uh, to do it. I'm sorry? Okay. Um, so, I'm about to get to that, but the idea of mitzvah, and this goes to the word of it, be mitzvah being from the lowest of tzadivav, hey, of tzavah, tzivui, of commandment. Mitzvah is that which is commanded. So, it goes into the idea of of being obligatory and non, um, non-choice. Um, and I'll get to that in just a moment. Yeah. Right. 
So it's the doing of the mitzvah itself. And we'll get to a Kabbalistic or spiritual reading of this in just a moment. Yeah, yeah. Right. Now, but there is at the same time a very important concept concept of Lulum Ya Yasok it's right, but it's also mitzvot, um mitoch shalolishma, not for its own reason. A person should always be involved in Torah and mitzvot, um, even if not for its own reason, even for the wrong reason, as it were, because by doing it for the wrong reason, you'll end up, or if not for its own sake, you'll come to do it for its sake. So there is a value in um, doing things out for the pure goodness of mitzvah, um, but also, even if there's a secondary gain, it's still worthwhile. Obviously, in its most lofty ideal sense, one does it purely for the idea of the mitzvah. Like we saw Rav Avon Rambam, I would do it even if I would be punished for it. Um, it would probably be worthwhile to spend a moment uh, to talk about, when we're talking about mitzvot, there's different, well first of all, the number of mitzvot is defined as, and this is a very, very old tradition, um, the 613 mitzvot, 613 mitzvot. And this is based on several sources, but, and so starting already from the, um, from the, the year about 700, um, people have been trying to write what exactly are the mitzvot. There is mitzvah in the popular sense that we use today, but then there is mitzvah in the halachic sense, in the strict definition of this is a commandment from God. So in other words, that is, so the mitzvah, like, um, you know, do, me, do a mitzvah in the popular sense, um, of doing a good deed is more of a popular way, but ultimately it's defined in a very specific It's one of the 613 mitzvot that are listed in the Torah. So there's many calculations of how that works out. Um, there's the Sefer Halachok Delot, um, the earlier sources he lists it, and there's the Rambam, the Sefer HaMitzvot, the Book of Mitzvot, which is commentaries from different people, you counted that, but that's really subsumed another category. You really didn't count this. It's a zone mitzvah, and it goes throughout. And there have been many, many throughout history. There's the, the Sefer Mitzvot Katsar, the short Sefer Mitzvot, the Sefer Mitzvot Katan, the small Sefer Mitzvot. There's the... And they all have different ways of dividing it. But just... There's just three, there's, there's different dimensions to how you count this, and this speaks to what we were saying before, the different arenas, or the different domains of where mitzvot play out. So, there are, one way of distinguishing is the intra, the, let's call it the interpersonal, the mitzvot bin adam, 
Hamakom, between me and my fellow, those would be things include positive and negative mitzvot. Those would include not uh, causing harm, well, the specific delineations, not stealing, um, not charging um, interest. Um, not slandering somebody, um, um, doing charity or kindness to somebody. Israel bin Adam Lechavero. Now then there's been Adam Lemakom between a person and God um, that has no impact on what somebody else, on somebody else. It's, let's say, prayer, my own personal prayer. Or, um, or my observance of, let's say, eating matzah on Pesach. That's my own personal fulfillment of my personal mitzvah. It doesn't have a direct impact on somebody else. And then there's another category, which is bin adam the mitzvah between a person and themselves. That it's not impacting. It's not a dictate between me and God, but it's something between me and myself. Um, this is obviously more of a psychological nature, um, sort of maybe some of my character traits between me and myself, um, but some of the um, internal concepts um, that I, let's say, the idea of simcha, the idea of, uh, of happiness. Now, Obviously, there's tremendous amount of overlap. Let's say, if I cause harm to somebody else, if I do something positive to somebody else, it's a binadam l'chavero, to me and my fellow, but at the same time, in doing it, I'm fulfilling a mitzvah binadam l'makom also, because my observance of a mitzvah towards you is also a observance of towards God. In fact, going that we mentioned the story of Avraham, so the notion of if, if we take that story, which we're all, very, we all might be familiar with, that here Avraham had the Brit Milah, and he was in pain, and he was, and then there, there were guests coming, so what did he do? He was conversing with God, and then what does he do? And this is in the, the Pasuk. He says, the extent of, God, hold on one second. I have to serve somebody that's coming to me. So what Avram is doing is putting this conversation, his prophetic, divine relationship with God, his conversation with God. Let's do it like this for a second. Imagine if it's Yom Kippur, or at a point of most powerful communion with God, or most powerful point of interacting with God. And then, um, let's say it's Nehilah, the final moments before Yom Kippur ebbs away, and we're standing after full, after a day of prayer, and I'm standing and I feel connected. I feel on. I feel religious. I feel spiritual, whatever the term he uses. And then, some, I'm going to say it coarsely, um, some, somebody of a different 
background. Somebody of a, 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 a squeegee fellow comes over and wants to strike up a conversation with me. And I'm praying to God. And I'm me. We're tight. Me and God, we're praying. And then some somebody that I have no connection to, somebody that's just doesn't even feel like I have much to do with, comes over to me. And then I would say, God, hold on one second. Yes, what can I do for you? Yes, let me let me get you a meal. Let me get you, you know, something. That's exactly what Avram does. At a point of a spiritual connection with God, speaking with God, he says, God, hold on. There's three strangers that I want to take care of now. Because that perspective of the mitzvah bin Adam is in its essence a mitzvah bin Adam makom, and ultimately the most powerful way of connecting with God is through recognizing his creations are recognizing his creations, recognizing that people serving people is actually serving God in perhaps a more powerful way. Right. So that's so that's uh, that um, the, the the formulation of the halacha is more along. You're not supposed to disturb your your prayer for um, for 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 a snake or um, if it's a non-poisonous snake potentially creeping up your leg. Um, but um, you're right. And in fact, the halacha is that one needs to... So I guess this touches on a very important point of the structure of mitzvot. So there's, there's the idea that, you're right, during Shemun right? that's one one should continue with their prayer. And immediately afterwards, um, take care of the needs of somebody else. Um, this moment that I was speaking about was um, was a prophetic moment, so not the halacha of a Shmon Esrei, but sometimes, and we're going to get to this also, is that sometimes we have to create a balance between the, the structure of mitzvot, of how we have to do something, um, and the feeling of, like, I would want to do it right now. But going back to the example of Avraham, Avraham, it, was a, it wasn't a halachic decision. It was just a prophetic interaction. I, I hope that answers the question. But, um, yeah. So, but the idea... Yes? Why wasn't the halachic Right, right, no. So that is, that's like the idea of, let's say, I, I, it's possible that a person would never do any mitzvot other than taking care of somebody else. Because I'm constantly taking care of other people, so then that would absolve me from doing anything else. The idea is there has to be a structure, a structure to life, a structure to, to mitzvot. Now, there are times, for example, that if um, a person um, wouldn't disengage, for example, from their Torah learning, unless for it's a mitzvah that can only be done by this person. If somebody else could do it, one would let the other person do it. But if it's something saying I could do, and I'm 
obligated to do it. And it's, there, there needs to be also a structure to its vote as well. As well. And, and, and it's always, each person has a responsibility. I have a responsibility to take care of an indigent person, but the indigent person has a, a responsibility to, to perform, to, to not intrude upon my spirituality. There's a statement that the Mishra actually said, um, my spirituality is, my spirit, my ruchniyot, my spirituality is your physical needs. Um, is your gashmiyot. In other words, me taking care of you, your physical needs are my spiritual needs. Um, so I have to take care. But at the same time, each person has their responsibility. You can't just because you're collecting staka intrude upon Shimon Esrei. I was once in Israel uh, listening to the Megillah. Of course, the Megillah requires hearing the whole thing. And somebody came in, I guess he got it from with a bell. In the middle, he walked in in the middle, you know, ringing his bell, disturbing everybody's McGill reading. So his, that, that's not exactly fair to do. But yeah. So anyway, going back, so that's one way of, of yeah. Simple. Oh. a the silent devotion prayer where you're not supposed to interrupt yourself when you pray. Right, so that's a corruption. This is this is exactly the poor point. Um, in Amaretz Chosid, Amaretz cannot be a, a righteous person because and if someone that has no knowledge cannot be fearful of sin because they're fearful of they're, they're, they're completely corrupting the notion because of course you have to say if we're talking about matters of great danger so of course you have to do whatever you need to. For example, right, and in fact, for example, a failure, horrible failure of education. Right, see, I don't know, see, I think we have an obligation to save ourselves. You know, it's, we, uh, Right. A person has an obligation to keep themselves safe. It's a very fundamental responsibility. And one should live with them, not uh, die. Yeah. Uh, I want to understand this. 
she was saying she thought she was doomed and saying a prayer for I don't know. She was in the middle of prayer. She was in the middle of saying a silent, let's say davening mincha, the afternoon prayer. And she was silent in prayer and silent devotion, so she couldn't interrupt. Which, of course, is a distortion of, complete distortion of halacha. Because, like, for example, the similar idea in Hilchot Shabbat, that obviously, Pikuach Nefesh, um, is doch everything, pushes aside everything, because one has to live. And the, the, if, a, if a rabbi, it says that any, a person is not allowed to ask a question when it comes to a life and death issue on Shabbat, one has to go right away and act immediately. Um, and it says, the Gemara says, that the rabbi that has asked such a question um, should be denigrated the point of, it's a failure of education to ask life and death questions on a Shabbat. Because no, you have to do it, you have to save somebody's life. Yeah, for sure. But just going back, um, so the idea that the, the, the structure of the mitzvot is also mitzvot that are, depend on different arenas. Let's say mitzvot that are particular to the temple. Mitzvot that are particular to particular times. Mitzvot that are particular to agricultural, you know, mitzvot, things like that. Um, and there are also um, public versus private mitzvot. I think that's a very important distinguish, distinction between those different areas because how does one fulfill a public mitzvah versus a private mitzvah? One has to think carefully as to is one doing it just because other people are watching or are they doing it for, for its own sake, as it were. Okay. Um, all right. Now, um, so a couple of points. We said that the religion, that the mitzvot, is very much of a social reality. Um, there's a lot of research um, that has been done in terms of things like um, religion and health behavior. And the findings are pretty powerful that people that are religious, and this does not just mean uh, Jewish, uh, people that are religious have tend to... Um, this was done actually with Jews. Um, there's one very good study. It was it compared for a lot. It compared a lot of things, but it found that people that were religious tended to live longer than those that were non-religious. And again, I don't know what religious means. Uh, religious means dedicated to um, a, the, to mitzvot. Now, it's a very interesting finding. Um, the reason that seems to make the most sense is that the mitzvah structure within which is set into place has very powerful effects. And um, there's, there's many examples. For example, um, the idea of bikur cholim, the idea of visiting the sick, that is, a, that is a very powerful effect on people that are sick. Having social networks, having a social network has been found time and time again, to increase the longevity of people's lives. So, in one, one of the beneficial effects of, of a mitzvah such as Bikr Cholom is, um, is, 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 um, 
is social networks. Another thing is, is the dissemination of information. There's a lot of information that social networks, let's say, um, uh, as an example, there was one year back a while ago that there was uh, the uh, proliferation of West Nile virus. So there was a uh, there was a poster posted in all the synagogues not to go to Tashlech. To, to, uh, to, to the river and to Tashlech because they found there a lot of West Nile virus. So that's just an interesting example of that. Um, there's also another component. Let's say having social networks, having family structures um, have a great benefit in that the research, again, this is time, having family meals together lowers the risk for a variety of, for example, um, drug use in adolescence, having family meals and family structures. Now, these types of benefits, um, there's also people who have healthy religious beliefs. For example, like believing that God will assist their recovery. Um, this was done not with Jews, but with, with uh, it was done at Duke University. Um, with, with, with Christians, they found they had a better recovery rate after open heart surgery. But what's interesting, those that had a belief that God will save them and will take care of them, they, they were only in God's hands. Actually, the worst prognosis. Because it's not enough just to, okay, God will take care of it. But we have to, and there's, in fact, the mitzvah, the shmartim, that you have to on. Um, a responsibility to have that belief. And there's questions why that is, but there's very powerful findings within the health psychology literature about these types of things. Um, also, in 1783, uh, ben Benjamin Travers, a physician, he found that the rate of penile cancer among Jews was zero, and it's still very, very, very low, uh, cancer of the penis, because of um, of Brittany law because the human papillomavirus which is causative in, 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 uh, in that type of cancer um, is greatly, greatly, greatly reduced with Brittany law uh, and similarly cervical cancer within um, women of partners who have a Brittany law similar, uh, similarly so the question is is that the reason for the mitzvah? well it's a positive outgrowth of it. It's a positive side benefit, but that's not necessarily the causative factor. The idea of, and again, it goes back to the idea of schar mitzvah, mitzvah. It's the, it's that, it's the mitzvah itself. And there are healthy social structures like a devotion to, like taking care of the needy, etc., are very important social function. Um, but not necessarily the reason for the mitzvot. Yeah. Right. So explain to me what you mean. Oh, I've done work on this. Uh, 
by connecting to to be wary and not to be purely in spirit, 
in Ruchaniyut, because then we completely abandon the body. And as the Rambam says, the way of, of nature is for the body to be healthy, and we need to be able to maintain a healthy body to fully serve God. Um, so it's, we need to be able to have both of those. And ultimately, also, um, um, mitzvot are physical actions. They require physical, but at the same time, they're not solely. Right. You can't give up Western medicine. And halakhically, in fact, you have to guard your physical health. And you're not allowed to do things that put you in danger for no for no good reason. Um, okay. Now, so I guess if we move to the next one, to the mystical Kabbalistic perspective, we have here um, mitzvot, not nearly as laws, but mitzvot as pathways. As pathways. As, um, as, um, as pathways of connecting to something bigger. Okay, so um, maybe how about this? Um, before we go on to this perspective, let's take a five to ten minute break. Let's take a seven minute break. Is that okay? Yeah, to give the physical a chance to restore. Because if the physical isn't happy, the spiritual isn't going to be happy. Okay, um, this is all actually, in t- yeah, in terms of introduction. Now we're actually going to get to it. Okay. Um, now, what I want to talk about now is viewing mitzvot from the mystical, spiritual, Kabbalistic perspective. Because we're shifting just from doing a mitzvah, doing that which one is commanded, to the idea of mitzvot as fundamental pathways. Mitzvot as a basic way of connecting to God and connecting to not just God, but the world. Now, um, fundamental to the Kabbalistic perspective is that, and I'll do very, 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 very brief overview of Kabbalistic thought. Um, literally, on, literally on one foot. Um, basically, the notion is that God is a spiritual force created a world. The world has a physical reality to it, but underlying the physical reality, there is an underlying spiritual reality. So, when we tap into um, the religious, the spiritual, we're tapping into the blueprint of creation, the, uh, the underlying spiritual reality of the world. Um, for lack of a better um, example, uh, the movie The Matrix, well known as a metaphor for spiritual concepts, the idea of The Matrix, for those that haven't seen it, is basically a movie where the whole world exists as an illusion. 
And in order to access it, you have to be able to see beyond the illusion. And ultimately, the whole world is a series of codes. And once you see that, it transforms the reality. You're no longer bound to physical reality. And this, um, without Keanu Reeves, was very much described by Kabbalistic sources. Um, that the world exists sort of as a spiritual world that expresses itself within the physical. So it's sort of like um, in Word and Word Perfect, you have a reveal codes. And it's like um, when you type things in, you can type it. I forgot what it's called. It's a funny symbol to it. It's like a, you can see all the spaces as characters. Um, usually you don't, okay, whatever. If you know what I'm talking about, great. Otherwise, go back to the Matrix. So the world is a physical reality. And this physical reality is, is its source. There is, there's physics, the laws of physics. But the laws of physics are an expression of spiritual concepts as well. So the same way there's physical physics, there's spiritual physics. And by affecting change in one arena, you, you can affect change in the other. And they're tied into each other. And this is very much explicated by the Ramchal, Moshe Chaim Mutsato, who's really um, a master Kabbalist. He's also, of course, known as one of the fathers of modern Jewish uh, literature. But he wrote several plays, which are all metaphor. Um, for a lot of other concepts. He was a fascinating Ramchal, Rav Moshe Chaim He lived in Italy, in Padua. He, he actually uh, um, had a yeshiva there. One of his students got a doctorate from the yeshiva of Pad, from the University of Padua. He wrote a whole, for, when he got his doctorate, he wrote a whole poem for him. Um, he, was, he was a very powerful Kabbalist and th- very clear thinker also. Um, he, uh, in his book, Derech Hashem, he really develops these concepts. It's available in English as well. Anyway, so this is a very basic idea. So this idea then goes and applies to mitzvot as well. So I have a little piece from a Shari Kedusha. Shari Kedusha is written by Reb Chaim Vital. Reb Chaim Vital was the prime student of the Arizal of Yitzhak Luria, who was the master Kabbalist of Tzvat in its heyday of, in, in, in the 1500s. It's interesting. The Arizal was very, very powerful, but he was in Tzvat for all of two years. In fact, the Arizal himself died at the age of 32, and he, and he wrote he wrote some halachic commentaries, but his Kabbalistic writings were all put out by Reb Chaim Vital, and they are many volumes. Um, it's, it's actually astounding. Um, so Reb Chaim Vital, it's Gates of Holiness. It's interesting, the last chapter of Shari Kedusha was never published, um, actually until last year. Um, it was never published with the book because it was considered by the publishers to be revealing too many practical secrets. It's different meditations. 
and different things like that. It was published recently, but it was only published together with the book uh, last year. Um, that's going back uh, for 500 years. Okay, so Hashar Harishon, it's the first Shari Kedusha of them. So he says, in explanations of the damage that's done by sickness and the concept of mitzvot. Um, um, it's basically, I'm going to say how awful it is that one does a sin to do one of the things that a person shouldn't do or if you don't do fulfill one of the Ramach uh, mitzvot there, there are 248 positive commandments that's Ramach Rish Mem Chet the numerical value 248 and there's Shasa Shin Samachai 365 and negative prohibitions. No, this is the 613 which is total, so that's broken up to 248 positive commandments and 365 uh, negative commandments to don't do. Um, that should add up to 613. Yes, it does. Okay. Um, and this is a lot of significance because the Talmud always speaks about Ramach Ivarav Shal Adam, the 248 um, organs or or um, parts of one's body, and Shasa Shin Samachei Gidin, tendons, sinews, muscles, and the like. So, so there's 613. There are also 613 parts to one's body which already gives you a little bit of a sense of where this is going. Um, so, uh, I'm going to read this quite quickly. Um, it's known to those that know that, the, that a person's body is not a person's body is not just their physical bodies. The Pesach in the Torah says that um, flesh and uh, meat, you'll, you'll cover over, you'll, you'll clothe me, and bones and muscles are attached you wrap me. So in other words, the me that's being wrapped is not the, the bones and the skin itself. It's more. The person is the internal, the internal part. The internal. So, the person, when we say the person, who, it's the internal, it's the mind, it's the internal eye. The body, the body 
is that it is a place, place to clothe the intellect, the nefesh hasichlit, the mind of intellect, that is the person. And that is the person, when they're in this world, um, and after one dies or separates, then you take off those clothes, and you clothe yourself in a pure spiritual uh, cloth, clothing. This is out of order. This is uh, not a minute next page. It's, it's page above Zion. Page above Zion. Physical and the spiritual. 
Right. Um, so now, he says, I don't want to go to this whole point, but he says, so basically, the soul is clothed in the body, and the body is, is its clothes, and therefore there are 248 um, body parts to parallel to the 248 points of light in the soul, and that there's this parallel construction. Um, now, um, and for that reason, um, if you skip to the next paragraph um, over here, the next column, the last paragraph, the the pure soul, she a pre, so it's tied in in that way. So, so, skip a couple lines. The soul, the pure soul, and the physical part. In order to exist, it needs its spiritual sustenance. The Amam Mazona Ruchanishal Anefesh Hakdusha Nimshachalea Al Yedei Kiyuma Torah Hakluwa Mitayag Mitzvot Kidinyan Tayag Ivraya Nefesh Kamim Vikalachem. So, what is the sustenance of the soul? It's the 613 mitzvot of the Torah. So doing the mitzvot has a spiritual meaning, meaning that it taps into the spiritual source of from where we are drawn, from where we are taken, and that then nourishes the soul. So the 613 mitzvot are not just a bunch of good ideas to have a good society and to have healthy lives and all of that, but rather they're fundamental religious truths or, or fundamental religious spiritual concepts in, within which we are tempted to, to give sustenance to the soul. And for that reason it's called lechem, bread, sustainable bread. Go eat my bread. Um, so, the whole either and every organ of the tw- 248 organs, so it comes and it's related to that particular thing. Yeah. And and it's therefore it's it's connecting from that spiritual energy of mitzvot. So each mitzvah has a unique spiritual quality to it that that we tap into. Um, right. And he goes on to um, that um, that's why the Talmud says that Rishon, wicked people are called dead in their life. Queen Mitin. They're called dead because they don't get the sustenance. And Sadiqim and righteous people are called alive even after they're dead. 
Because that's it. That's it. That's it. Okay. So this is one point. Yeah. many things. He died in 
1700s. His students were Chaim Belozhin, lived to the early 1800s. Um, in his book, Nefesh Chaim, Nefesh Chaim is truly the prime, it's almost like a, a basic exposition of Kabbalah in a very clear terms. And basically there, he describes the notion of that, that while God, which is, well, he basically starts on the point of, what does it mean that God, man is created in God's image? Does it mean God is No, he says no, clearly not. He says rather it's a, it's, it is a fundamental likeness. And what is a fundamental likeness? And he says, why is it in the Torah? It says, Selim Elohim, in the image of Elohim. What does Elohim represent? Elohim represents the idea of being able to have free choice. And even more than that, more than free choice, the ability to, to create and to do. The idea is that we, as people, I'll pose it this way, which is greater, the, the play, the, an angel or a human being? And the answer to that, Rukhaim Velazhin says, is a human being. Because I, as a person, change the reality of heaven, change the reality of the spiritual world. And how do I do that? Because I have a neshama, a soul, and I am B'Tselem Elohim, in the image of God, I am like God, in that I create a reality. I create an effect and a reality in the physical world, and I create a reality in the spiritual world. How God's uh, shefa, his benefit, beneficence, his influx, his blessing comes to the world is a function of me, the person. And that I have the power to bring in more or to let it stay out or, or restrict it. And that um, explains the phrase, give strength to God. What does that mean, give strength to God? God is all-powerful, almighty, etc., etc. But it means that we have the ability to give strength to God, as it were. He more than reinforced what Clive Elijah says. To have the light of God, the, the, the kedusha of God, come into the world, or not. To allow, to, to have his presence be in the world or not. And this idea, he also, the, the, the Talmud says that after um, the, um, in the destruction of the temple, Satitus, Titus, who destroyed the temple, came in and, and destroyed the temple and gives a whole story there about that. But then he says, how could it be that the temple was destroyed? Because Kimcha Tochent Tochan. He ground ground flour. In other words, he's really grinding. Why? The power of our actions has the impact to make something holy or not. So the temple was no longer holy. It was defiled and destroyed by the actions of the people. 
Jewish people. So the idea of the spiritual world is determined based, spiritual reality is determined based on our actions. And we either increase that, or God forbid, decrease that. And it's up to us. And it's up to us in our individual choice. And now, what is the way that I do this? By doing the mitzvot. The mitzvot, Rebchaim Vital was describing the mitzvot as the tzino wrote, as the pipes, the tubes, the, the connection in terms of the body. Rebchaim Velashim says, and Rebchaim Vital says this as well, but for the entire world. So the state, the spiritual state of the world depends on that, on the mitzvot. Coming into the world or not. Uh, so that's a good question. Ultimately, the purpose of the question, the purpose of creation of humanity, um, big question. Um, the short version is, um, and again, Moshe Chaim Lutzato in the Derech Hashem is a wonderful exposition about this. But basically, the purpose of the purpose of creation is to give. And the Kabbalists describe this is to give good. The greatest good that God can give is Himself. So, how do we do that? And this is another point: is by having free choice, not just like getting it, because that's what's called Muhammad Kisufa, bread of embarrassment. If you just get it, so it's by us creating it. We create our connection with God, and we create ourselves to be like God. And that, again, ties into mitzvahs. And therefore, we are given mitzvot to be able to take that and to become like God. And a lot of the mitzvot, for example, the Gemara says, Mahu rachum afato rachum. Just as he, God, is merciful, is compassionate, you should be compassionate. Just as God is merciful, you should be merciful. Just as God is giving kindness, so to you should be giving kindness. And so we imitate, we follow and imitate God, or the halachta midrachav, which is one of the mitzvot, which is we should follow in his ways. And, and that is actually a mitzvah that is a, a core to a lot of other mitzvahs. So the idea is for us to make choices and to be able to take up, yes. Um, and that's a tragedy, as it were. Um, so, first of all, um, by learning those mitzvot, we tap on a simple level. It, it, it's as if we're doing it. That's, like, for example, prayer we, we, is instead of the temple worship. Our words um, are instead of the temple service. But in general, the observance of the Torah, <coughs> the, the study of Torah, is the st- instead of it, both in terms of it as a mitzvah and as, it, as a spiritual source. 
has a spiritual energy. So we're tapping into that mitzvah. Now, there's another point of it, is by another point that Rebchaim Velozhin writes, that by actually doing, not just by thinking about it, by imbuing our physical actions with spiritual meaning, with this kavana, with this intention, we've now created in physical reality, in physical practice, um, a spiritual meaning. Uh, to fully explain this, it's going to take a, a little bit more, but she asked, what the, why create the world? So it's to do the mitzvot and, and ultimately to get the good. So why not create us as floating souls just hanging around and being spiritual? So the idea is the greatest experience of God is to recognize God as um, God in Od Malvado. There is none else but God. It doesn't just mean there's no other gods. It means there's nothing else other than God. And going back to the Matrix, going back to the... Everything is an illusion of existence. But it's an expression of the spiritual... Um, it's an expression of God. So when we're able to recognize that which seems most distant from God is coming from God, that is a very powerful concept. Um, so that's the idea of Tchiat Hametim, the resurrection of the dead, of being the physical part of being coming back and being spiritual. It's not just, oh, the soul. It's no, even the physical, that which seems most distant, most disconnected from the God experience, is tied in and is, expresses godliness. That's the idea of Similarly, and this is a little bit of a tension, but the idea of the, well, I'll leave it for now. Uh, but the idea that ultimately everything comes from God, and that's why tshuva is a recognition, repentance is a recognition that that which I sins ultimately this is, comes from God. I have to bear responsibility for it. But that too comes from God. And then that which I sins after repentance, after tshuva, um, is now an expression of, uh, of a further connection with God. I hope that there's more to this, but yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's that's yeah, and, yeah. <coughs> so so um, okay. Um, the, the short answer to that is like this. First of all, Eno Malvado is. <coughs> it says <coughs> in Tvarim, Moshe telling them before they go into the land. You've been shown to know uh, God is Elohim, is the God. There's none other than Him. The idea is that no, it's not pantheism because ultimately everything expresses the spiritual notion. Everything expresses, but still there is. Um, but still there is 
this way. Okay. I'm talking about Tfilin. There's another such idea. Tfilin, Ktushat Tfilin, in Halacha Chafei, right over here on this side. Halacha Chafei of Perik Dalit, Ktushat Tfilin. Ktushat Tfilin, Ktushat Angdola, they're very holy. When it's on your head and it's on your arm, um, you become humble and fearing heaven. And you don't just talk about nonsense or 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 just a meaningless uh, chat. We should focus on on words of truth and justice. Therefore, a person should ultimately should strive that they should be wearing filling all day. We don't do that at all because we can't be in that such a state all the time. And if we don't do that, then it'll be a denigration of the tefillin. But here we have the idea of tefillin as this idea as well, as it's sort of like a channel and a focusing point. Now, um, on this point, um, I don't know if it made it into... It didn't want to get here, but I want to make this point. This ultimately is the f- complete purpose of mitzvot. And the Rambam, in the Moren Nebuchim, in the Guide to the Perplexed, in the, in the second to last chapter, uh, second to last chapter um, he basically says, again, the Rambam, we very often think of him as a rationalist, as a very logical, straightforward, um, cold, hard intellect. So he says something all the different. He says basically that um, he says basically that the ultimate level is for a person to be completely connected, to be completely absorbed with thoughts of God and the connection to the spiritual. And even as you're engaged in regular pursuits in your daily activities, you're still connected with God. And um, and that um, that a person um, is always connected with God, even as you're involved with everything else. Um, he says, um, and this is the final job, uh, the, this is the, the final act that the Torah require, requires. I'm just finding the exact quotes. Um, sorry. Seconds. Mm. Right. When you have
have this all the time. It's not in, in, in the package you have. Gamkin's not in the chad.
They're going to lead mundane lives. They're going to, if you compare it, the, the, the people of Israel from living in the, the deserts with the month following and all the miracles every day, so not much needed to happen. So they were able to be connected to God the whole time. But now you're going into a land, you're going to have regular lives still then be connected to God. So the point themselves is that, that mitzvot are, are guideposts to create consciousness, to be able to maintain a relationship with God throughout the mundane realities of life. They remind us and hearken us back or should hearken us back to God and to um, our relationship with him, our connection with him. Okay. Um, okay. Um, I'm skipping a couple of things. I want to get to a couple of other important points. And I'm sorry uh, we started late. If we look, where is it? The Sefer HaChinuch. Oh, one other thing, quickly, is the Hasidim had a custom to say Lashim Yichud Kucha to unify the name of God, and they'd say a small paragraph beforehand. The idea is to awaken within themselves that I'm doing a mitzvah, I'm doing a mitzvah that is sanctifying God's name. Um, and to do that, uh, awaken the Kabbalah within them. Um, no, hold up, I'll just. I'll do this in a moment. Um, uh, okay. I want to move to the to Sefer HaChinuch. It's, uh, it's over here. It says two columns. Sefer HaChinuch was written eventually by Aaron Alevi. He was a student of the Ramban. He wrote on every parsha. He wrote um, about the mitzvot. Now it's this. It's, it's here, and that's right there. Um, it's, he writes about each part of the mitzvahs, and he gives a beautiful explanation for mitzvahs, what the halachos of them are, and what the reasoning behind them are. And it's really a worthwhile book to study. It's very nicely done. And this is written in the, 14, the, late, the, the late 1300s, early 1400s. Um, it's not known exactly. It's thought to be Aaron Halevi, um, he writes that one of the reasons he wrote this for his kids, Fridays, they didn't have school, so he wanted them to have an opportunity to learn about the Barcha. Um, but it's, it's a really interesting book. So, um, Mitzvah 10, the 17th, the 16th Mitzvah, is Shavolosh Bar Pesach. That when eating the carbon Pesach, you have to eat the carbon Pesach and with royalty and with distinction um, and to, to make the point that we're not slaves anymore. And one of the halachos is you're not allowed to break a bone of the Karm Pesach, break a bone to, to, to get the marrow, to get every last piece. Okay. Interesting mitzvah. So what, what's it all about? And here... He goes on to describe that it's to remind us of the niece, um, and that to really, um, and that it's not of the honor of kings uh, to, to just break the bone and do 
like to eat in a very simple fashion. Uh, okay. Now, um, uh, but he points here a fundamental basis of what mitzvahs are all about. And this is very much related to um, cognitive behavioral theory and also cognitive. So, um, turn the page. Uh, it's it's p- vav on top. Vav. Okay. Um, he says if in the middle, about twelve lines down, it starts my son, if you are wise, you'll, you'll hear what I say. It's here. Listen to what I'm teaching you. I will teach you to be productive in Torah and mitzvot. Um, da, you should know, it's a very important phrase. I meant to underline it. A person is acted upon according to his actions. A person reacts to their actions. And a person is always his thoughts, his um, his thoughts <coughs> go after their actions that he is involved with, whether for the good or whether for the bad. The a completely wicked person in their hearts. The and always thinking bad. And for some reason he brings it in his soul. But he constantly works himself to do Torah mitzvot. Even if Shalom Shemayim, he'll be leaning towards the good. Through, for not for the right reason's sake, comes to the good. Um, he kills the Yitzhara. Because according to the actions is pulled the heart. And similarly, he says, somebody's a tzaddik, a righteous person, and they act in a negative way, and they do don't fulfill it. They will become that person. So, so what is he saying? is the purpose of mitzvot is to create a structure to give action to allow ourselves to act in a proper way and to change ourselves on that basis. Um, Because a person is effective based on their actions not their thoughts. So he says, skipping a little bit, L'chein atzore see and see in your actions and your business 
you will be drawn after what you do. Not you draw. You're not going to draw what you do. What you do. But all you have to do is And don't be certain in your heart to say, I'm sure, I'm certain in my my heart, um, in, my, in my connection with God. I'll do the things that people I'll just hang out and joke around with everybody. Just do the silly things that other people might do. Well, the birds are hot. Because this leads to a lot of negative things. So we experience by, by doing the actions, we create the experiences within ourselves. So why are we not breaking a bone? Because by acting in this way, we are taking this value uh, of, of this experience into our lives. Because we, the purpose of mitzvah is that we do we A person is affected by their actions. So by creating actions, we create within ourselves the meanings of the mitzvot. We, cre- we, we, we create the attitudes. But this is a very well-known study. There's a, there's a famous study, Carl Smith, uh, Carl Smith, I think his name is, and Festinger. They did a study. They had two groups. One, they gave both groups saying very boring, very um, not so interesting to do. One group they paid twenty dollars, and one group they paid twenty cents. And they both asked both groups, "Did you enjoy it?" So, so they asked, "Did you enjoy what you were doing?" And it really wasn't so interesting. So, um, so what do you think? Who enjoyed it? The people that get paid more, they enjoyed it. No, they found that the people that didn't really get paid, they were the ones that, that reported enjoying it. Why? Because I, <laughs> I, I, got, I got $20. So I wasted my time. It was very boring, but I got my twenty dollars and I walked out. This was done in the sixties. It's twenty dollars. It's really twenty dollars. Um, so, um, but the other group, they had to figure out. I just wasted a lot of my time, and I didn't have really good reason for it. Hmm. Yeah, I found it interesting. Basically, from this study and several others, many others, they found that I do what's called cognitive dissonance. If there's a dissonance, a disparity between my action and my feelings and my attitudes, what wins out? My actions win out. My actions win out and I develop my, um, my sense of meaning. I'll give a very quick example to this. Many, many years ago, I, I went to the Museum of Television and Radio. So excited, I could see anything possible uh, uh, to see. So my friends spent a lot of time thinking what it is that they wanted to see. This is probably 15, 20 years ago. And I, you know, heard something. I thought, oh, this will be interesting. 
So I saw it. It was completely stupid. It was a dumb choice that I even chose it. But that's what I chose. So what I do? So then everybody asked me, oh, how is it what you watch? You watch anything from the archives of television radio. So I watched it. And I felt like, oh, man, I really wasted my choice. So I ended up saying, quote, oh, no, I'm really glad I chose that. It was a good decision. Yeah, and I went on a whole reason why. And it's a complete waste. But again, how dumb the field can a person is activated according to their actions. So your attitudes and your emotions are going to be determined based on your actions. And they found this in a lot of different places also. For example, another thing, like um, um, intrinsic motivation leads to much better um, educational outcomes than... Um, really big prizes and big rewards. Intrinsic meaning its own value. Educate children to be able to do things for its own value, not because of prizes. Um, because I don't need to do it. I'm getting a Game Boy. I'm getting you know, some big prize for, for doing what I'm supposed to be doing. Um, so I don't have to take internal responsibility for it. So, so too, um, again, if, if, if I don't get a big reward, I learn to be intrinsically motivated. So the idea is that through actions, we're developing a, um, first of all, structure, but also developing the attitudes that go together with it. Yeah. Yeah. I 
myth of, of absolute autonomy that is very pop popular in Western culture. Um, you don't find it as much in, in Eastern cultures. Um, but the idea that I am I am bound myself and my will before you, God. And that is a very powerful point of connecting with God. It means that God, there is something that's greater than me. You're, you're connecting to something that is much greater than you, but yet at the same time, by submitting to it, and I realize it's a very anti-Western way of thinking, but by submitting myself, I am I, I'm recognizing my own boundaries, my own limits, and who I am, and I'm thereby connecting much more with God. For sure. Right. And, and I think that's why sometimes certain things I can't just do as I want because of God and because of the other. And very much the, the model of Judaism is very much of like when, when, when the, the, the person comes to Hillel and has to teach me the whole Torah while I'm standing on one foot, what does he say? When you don't like, don't do to others. That is a fundamental book. Commentary, go and study. What do you mean the rest of the commentary? Eating matzah on Pesach is a commentary on the, the notion of don't do to others what you don't like. The answer is yes, because fundamental it sets up the concept of a relationship, the self and the other. There's me and there's God. There's me and there's the other person. And that is the fundamental building, the I and the thou. And that relationship plays out in all of Judaism and all of mitzvot. There is an I and there's a thou. And therefore I sometimes have to um, restrict myself. There, there's a famous story, the Kutzker, who is very honest, and his hallmark was honest, the Kutzker Rebbe. Um, he used to take a very long time to say Modahani in the morning. And the person wakes up, say Modahani Fanacha, Malachayakayim, Shechazari to be Nishmasi. Thank I, thank you, God, um, for returning my soul to me. You're taking several hours, because what does it mean? I. I am thanking, what does thank mean? You. What does you mean? I have to understand who I am. Who you are and what interaction I have before you. So that would take a lot of reflection and contemplation. So the I and the you. Um, there's also it's interesting Jung talks about that that religion, and I'm going to try to just really quickly. Um, he talks about um, that that there's certain fundamental archetypes, psychological structures that are embedded in human consciousness. And one of them, he says, is the God archetype, the, the, the God symbol. And he says, if a person doesn't have that in its right expression, other things take place. For example, he said in communism, the state takes the, fills the space of the psychological representation of God, of the power or man themselves, uh, so the state has the power, or man 
themselves, he says, can be subject to inflation and places themselves at the center and overstates their importance and their power. And for him, one of the reasons that Jung broke away from Freud was that he said that Freud overemphasized sexuality and he underemphasized the importance of religion and religious symbols. Um, yeah. So for Jung, it's very important, this idea of the symbols. It's very briefly, he speaks, and this, and this is important tension for us as well, um, the idea that, um, that um, he speaks about the Catholics versus the Protestants. Catholics are much more into ritual. He says they have, for, for them, the idea of the, the, the profound psychological symbols and, and meanings that are attached to ritual, but they've lost the place of individual experience. Then there's the Protestants who stress the notion of individual experience and very much experience, but they've lost the roots and the grounding in ritual and the symbols that go along with it. And he says they're both missing something. And I think that's a very relevant point to us as well. In other words, there's the ritual as, for Jung, it's a psychological symbol. Maybe there's a spiritual symbol, taking the Kabbalistic perspective. So there's the, the, the rituals, but they've lost the individual meaning. So I can do Maase Ishmaelumado, the habit. They do it out of habit. So, so they, so a person can do the symbols, do it, but they've lost the individual experience. But then individual experience without the root in, in the ritual, in the symbol, and all the things that it offers is also lacking as well. Um, and and I think it behooves us to be try to take both sides of experience, of experience and the ritual. Um, now, um, there was several other points that I wanted to get to, um, but the idea, well, I will say very briefly, that there's many levels to the depth of the ritual. Ravavim and Rambam, in the, I, I, I put in, um, he talks about different levels of experience. Two people can eat matzah on Pesach, but they have different qualities to the experience of it. They reflect upon it. Similarly, he describes a beautiful description about Shabbat. So somebody doesn't do what they're not supposed to, but does what they are. That's one level. Great. So he prevented himself from doing anything wrong. But then there's the next step, doing all of that and contemplating what's the meaning of what I'm doing. What's the, 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 the meaning of it? What's the the, the, the the experience of it. Then there's going on different levels to be able to have it on a lot of different levels. Um, um, I wanted to talk, I'm sorry, uh, uh, individual pathology within mitzvot. Um, Freud talks, well, first of all, Freud talks about religion as the universal obsessive neurosis. And if any religion deserves that, it's Judaism. So if, the, if Jews would have to have Christmas trees, for today, yeah, no, no, he didn't say that. Um, if he would say, um, how tall? What type of tree? Um, how many how many ornaments do you have to have? What type of ornaments? 
Then they would ask questions about, let's say it was an old tree. You know, it's, you know, or if it's dried out. What if you stole? But if you stole, what if that permitted? And go on and question, question, question. But but ultimately, Freud is wrong in this in this matter. And I have an article if somebody's interested um, on this. Um, I can give you a website. It was published a book in Mind, Body, and Judaism. I think. Um, um, but I think Freud was wrong because there is meaning to it, and there is an experience of it. With OCD, obsessive compulsive disorder, you become stuck. You become stuck in it, and you can't pull out of it. But in the religious experience, what we're looking for is actions. And yes, there are detailed questions, but at the time, it is a matter of experience and a matter of um, in, in enriching us, the person. And there is autonomy and volition that goes into it. Um, Another point is the idea there is individual pathology that does get expressed in mitzvot. For example, somebody that does have an OCD and they wash their hands over and over and over. That is not religious. That is not a scrupulosity to be um, to uh, to be a good thing. That is OCD that takes a particular religious context. Um, there is also you know, question if somebody's overly scrupulous, they're so anxious. Judaism is not about, um, and mitzvot are not about making somebody neurotic, making somebody anxious. It's about creating a more fulfilling uh, experience. That's not the purpose for it. The purpose ultimately is a commandment that we do for God, we connect to God and as we've been speaking. But the, ultimately the purpose is, is, is not to make somebody neurotic. If it's neurotic, if it's, there is a fear of God, that's not a fear of anxiety. And it's a different a lot of examples, which we're not going to get to. Um, and one last point, I've actually been doing a study for the past several years on what's called the multidimensional religiousness scale, how one measures religiousness. Um, good question. What predict, I, I, I did have about 250 subjects, um, conservative reform, uh, the entire gamut of uh, an orthodox, Hasidic, the entire gamut of Judaism on it. What predicts the statement of, the thing that predicts most, the statement of, I see myself as religious, is um, two things. How people score on a practice scale, practice of mitzvot, and the importance to them, but even more so the practice. That what that the idea of mitzvot, of practicing, of doing the variety of mitzvot, makes creates a self-report of uh, a sense of religiousness. Um, how one defines religiousness, who knows? Everybody has many different ways. Part of my scale tries to get to different different practice, the meaning of practice, the importance to social, stuff like that. But that, I think it's an important thing to think about. So the bottom line, and, and again, I apologize, I'm both keeping you late, uh, but is what is the meaning of mitzvot, and there's many, many levels of meaning. And we have to think about all of those, the spiritual, the psychological, 
in in mitzvot, and ultimately it's with that we can create a meaningful religious and spiritual life. Um, and that mitzvot are a real way of infusing real spirituality into our experience. And it's also a way that it helps us develop our character and transforms us to be sensitive to the values of Judaism, of the Torah. And an important question that we have to ask, and um, unfortunately we don't have the time to, but, but it's the question of what keeps us from doing mitzvot? What keeps us from improving ourselves doing mitzvot? And there may be a lot of things that go into that. There may be a lot of factors. And everybody, to think of the place, of, to think of the mitzvot that one would want to improve on, that one can make a change in. Maybe it's a matter of not having the knowledge of which mitzvot, what, what, what is out there. So one can then learn learning maybe it's maybe there's philosophical questions that one has looking to explore that maybe it's lack of knowledge maybe it's a lack of desire so then that's something to think about as well maybe it's a lack of context and then one can always do mitzvot but maybe there's there's people that can help one. Maybe life gets in the way. Life is a very dreaming, busy endeavor. Although, of course, life is really what happens when we're not when we're not getting ourselves too busy. Part of what mitzvot do is create consciousness to create to just be, not to be doing running, you know, all that. Something to take away, something to think about, and the various things that keep us from, and, and hopefully that allows us to have not only fulfilling mitzvot, but to have fulfilling in both sense. Being able to do, being able to experience it, and to have that to be a meaningful experience. I'm sorry that I kept you long and I made it uh, so late, but um, thank you very much, and I hope this was meaningful and adds to an appreciation of mitzvot. Um, there's unfortunately a lot more I wanted to do that I didn't get to.